On this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Dr. Anthony J. When they came out with BPA, they were researching BPA in the 1920s as a birth control. And then they've turned it into plastic and started making a ton of money on that and said, oh my gosh, this is way better. And they assured everybody that it doesn't leach. And Nalgene was the company at the forefront of that. And people still have Nalgene BPA bottles. They're looking on the bottom and there's a little recycling symbol. It has a number seven. That's BPA. It's very obvious that it leaches because now we have the technology to measure the nanogram levels. And oh, guess what? Testosterone, estrogen, those are in the nanogram levels. So like we're exposing ourselves to the same amounts of these hormones and these fake hormones that our natural hormone levels are at. So it obviously has an impact. And sure enough, as they've done more and more and more studies, I mean, they have tens of thousands of studies on BPA showing how bad it is across the board. So it becomes, you know, a no brainer. But 20 years ago when scientists were saying it doesn't even leach, people would laugh at you if you said to avoid BPA. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast, founder of Keto Camp, and the best-selling author of four books. We welcome today Dr. Anthony J, who is a brilliant researcher from Mayo Clinic, and he's going to discuss some really fascinating topics here. My mind was actually blown. So we're going to get into the topic of one of his first books that he wrote about artificial estrogens and what that's doing to disrupt the hormones in our body. He has his book called Estro Generation. We're going to get into that. And then he has such amazing research on the benefits of vitamin D and why we want to get sunshine, but we don't want to get burned. He talks about tattoos, having heavy metals, how the sun breaks down bilirubin in your body. Super cool. He talks about how to combat seasonal affective disorder, why getting your vitamin D levels tested and keeping it above 50 really protects your immune system and how it's almost impossible. I know I don't like to use that word a lot, but it's almost impossible to get this cytokine storm from a virus when your vitamin D levels are above 50 and what the optimal ranges are, how to look for that. He gets into this intriguing study on total cholesterol and all-cause mortality and why there's so many myths surrounding these cholesterol panels and why statins are being prescribed. And then we get into Dr. J's favorite ways, that rhymes, to optimize your immune system. And I asked him the question, which can be somewhat controversial, but I did ask him the question because I know he's done so much research on the immune system and vaccines. So I asked him about his thoughts of the COVID vaccine. And he, if he thinks it's a good idea to get it, what are the pros and cons? And we really talk about the vaccine on this conversation. Well, Dr. J does. He's done tremendous research. We talk about COVID-19. We talk about the immune system. We talk about the face mask. 
So there, this might be triggering to some people. I hope it's not. I want you to look into the research that Dr. Anthony J references and just have an open mind here. This is such an important conversation that talks about your health and your freedom. And if you should get the vaccine or not, I want you all to be well informed. I don't want to tell you to do it. I don't want to tell you not to do it. I just want to get you some good research so you can make an informed decision. So before I bring them on the show, I want to take a second here to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Angel 11 2020 titled Love This Podcast. Ben is informative, knowledgeable, and willing to freely share his secrets of the ketogenic lifestyle. He's on a mission to reach 1 billion people get healthy. I sure am, Angel. That's the goal here at Keto Camp, to educate and to inspire a billion people. So thank you for leaving that rating and review because by you doing so, it helps us actually achieve that goal and get the podcast into more hands. So thank you so much for doing that. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so right now. Pause it, scroll down on your phone, and leave that rating and review. It really does help the show grow. A reminder that my brand new book, Keto Flex, is out there into the world. It is trending on Amazon as a bestseller, and we have been receiving just amazing reviews on Amazon for this book. It goes over my four-pillar approach to keto and fasting and carnivore, and you could learn a lot about how the body works at the cellular level. The book has been endorsed by Dr. Daniel Pampa, who wrote the foreword, Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Mindy Peltz, Thomas DeLauer, Megan Ramos, Drew Manning, Cynthia Thurlow, incredible, incredible leaders who I'm so grateful to have endorsed this book. I truly believe it's one of the best books ever written on keto, and you can get it right now on either paperback or Kindle by heading to ketoflexbook.com. Let's go get the book, enjoy it, and when you're finished with it, leave it a rating and review on Amazon. All right, let's get into this discussion with Dr. Anthony J. Dr. Anthony J. earned a BA with a double major in biology and theology from Avenue Maria University in Naples, Florida, where he researched HIV inhibitors. After college, he continued to work with lentivirus in the context of Alzheimer's disease from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Next, Dr. J earned his PhD in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine, researching fats, hormones, and cholesterol. Dr. J has also worked for three years as a scientific researcher at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, researching stem cells, epigenetics, and infrared light. Currently, in addition to leading AGCCO, Dr. J is a best-selling author of Estro Generation. Let's get into this amazing conversation with Dr. J. Dr. Anthony J, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. You're doing some really great work out there, and you're speaking a lot of truth, which we'll get into. But before we get into that, share your story with the Keto Campers. How did you get involved with what you're doing today? Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I got interested in artificial estrogens, fake estrogens, way back in college when I went to, I actually went to college in Naples, Florida. Oh. And yeah, Ave Maria University was started by the Domino's Pizza founder. And I was literally in the first class down in Florida because it used to be up in Michigan and then he transported it down to Florida. Pretty cool. But, yeah, they had an orientation lecture and this, you know, this person from the city came in and said, look, don't drink the the municipal water. Don't drink the water right out of the sink, the faucet, because it's full of birth control. 
And I'd never heard anything like that because I just assumed like, oh, water is just water. It looks clean. It's good. You're not going to get sick. And that really opened up a can of worms because number one, I certainly bought a filter and activated charcoal filter at that time and started filtering my water. And it tastes way better. In Florida, as you know, it tastes terrible if you just drink it out of the sink. Mm-hmm. Up here in Minnesota, where, where I live now, it's it's actually tastes okay, but it's still full of chemicals. But that that whole birth control in the water thing kind of snowballed into just recognition of fake estrogen chemicals in our environments. And people are putting them on their skin, drinking them, eating them literally every day. So I kind of compiled a top 10 list of these daily exposures and wrote the book Astro Generation. And then you know, all along as well, I did my PhD in biochemistry at Boston University Medical School. So I lived in Boston for 10 years. And my family's from Minnesota, my wife's family is from Minnesota. So we ended up moving back to Minnesota where I worked, you know, I I came here for Mayo Clinic research for the past three years. And that's where I live now in Rochester, Minnesota. So about an hour and a half south of the Twin Cities. Mm. So birth control in the water, right? It sounds crazy. But it's the truth. And, and you're right. We're drinking it. Well, we're not. But a lot of people are drinking it. They're taking a hot shower, opening up their pores. It's getting in there even more. So you wrote that fantastic book. And now you have a wonderful YouTube channel, which is uh, Anthony J. Cast YouTube channel. You have a great uh, Instagram as well. And you've been speaking a lot about very important topics that are more important than ever before. And we'll get into that, like the COVID vaccination and face masks and some of the research you you looked into. So we'll definitely get into that. So stick around, Keto Campers. You're going to want to listen to what he has to say. But before we do, I was looking at your YouTube channel just earlier today, and there was a really fascinating video that really informed me on five health benefits of sunshine. I love sunshine. I'm here in beautiful Miami Beach, Florida, the sunshine state. And you talked about these five benefits. So I'd love for you to get into these five benefits and why it's so important to get sunshine. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I do DNA consulting as well. And when I look at people's DNA, it's through 23andMe and Ancestry. But you notice a lot of interesting genetic risks that are dependent on sunshine and basically fixed by for people getting out in the sun. So I'm constantly saying, look, you know, you've got these vitamin D receptor issues you need to get more vitamin D, get out in the sun or take vitamin D or both. But then it goes way beyond that because that's what everybody talks about when they talk about the benefits of sunshine. But they, there's also like there's a gene called UGT1A1. And I mentioned that gene in the YouTube video, even though it's really simple and basic and the idea is so normal people can understand. But this gene, it's involved in breaking down bilirubin. And that's important. And a lot of people don't, I mean, maybe have never even heard of bilirubin, but some people have a genetic issue where it's really, really high. And all you got to do is get out in the sun. It breaks that down in your skin and your body clears it out. And by the way, if that builds up really high, it can cause gallstones and surgeons love to take out your gallbladder. If you've mm-hmm. got gallstones and permanently basically destroy your fat, you know, metabolism, then you're kind of messed up for the rest of your life in terms of eating fat you're at least behind the eight ball, you have to do, you know, ox bile supplements and all mm-hmm. kinds of other things. But uh, bilirubin's another reason to get out in the sun, even if you're not outrageously high, you know, like, just how, like, increase your body's metabolism of bilirubin. That's two things. And of course, again, vitamin D being very obvious and common. But another one was toxin breakdown and removal. And the example I used in the video was tattoos. Mm-hmm. Because 
you know, laser removal of tattoos literally zaps those heavy metal particles. So they're injecting, when you're putting a tattoo in, you're injecting heavy metals in just underneath your skin. And sometimes these are pretty nasty heavy metals. I mean, it can include mercury and cadmium and chromium, and it's quite a lot of them. So, you know, there's always kind of this detox period. But those heavy metals are usually in big enough chunks where your immune system cannot engulf them and clear them out. So they stay under skin. But, you know, if you have tattoos, you're probably familiar. They tell you put on sunscreen, block the sun from the tattoos because sunshine, just like laser removal, it actually zaps those large chunks of heavy metals and breaks them into smaller chunks. And then your immune system can clear them out. And so then your tattoo fades away over time. Uh, so that's you know, less attractive. And then also it's less healthy because now you're getting more heavy metal constantly just streaming into your system. And it goes beyond that with sunshine, because even if you don't have tattoos, the UV from sunshine literally helps you to break up various toxins that are under your skin, just naturally building up from different environmental exposures, or just like proteins that are misfolded that are maybe, you know, conglomerates of proteins that are oxidized and you know, there's a lot going on with sunshine in terms of detox. So another important benefit. And then there's a really cool benefit, probably my favorite. And I think I'm only on like number four, but I guess people <laughs> could watch the video for number five because I can't even think of number five. But my favorite one, just to finish it up, is um, the melanotan receptor. It's called MC4R. And I think I mentioned this in the video. I can't remember. You could correct me, but I actually bought some melanotan yeah, and, and injected it. You shared that. Yeah. And you were hungry all the time now. Exactly. So it made me really hungry because my metabolism went way up and I only did three injections and I was tanned for a whole month. So it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of funny because I was in Minnesota in the winter and you can tell if you're looking at me, I definitely don't get tan. <laughs> right. Um, without at least a lot of adaptation, really slow introduction mm -hmm. to the sun. So that's another benefit of sunshine. It literally increases your body's natural production of melanotan. You don't have to go inject it. You can just naturally increase by getting out in the sun and it increases your metabolism. So you burn more calories all throughout the day. You don't have to do cardio. You're just burning more calories across the board. So really good benefit of sunshine right there that you never hear about. So fascinating. And one of the other uh, benefits was mood improvement, right? And you talked about seasonal effect, uh, seasonal uh, sad, right? Uh, what was the disorder? Yeah, yeah, seasonal affective disorder, yeah. Seasonal affective disorder, exactly. So uh, well, how does it help with mood improvement? Uh, you have receptors on your skin. So there's a gene, for example, it's called OPN4. There's another one called PER3. There's a few different genes that some people have more disposition for this. And again, when I do these DNA consults, that's what I'm looking for, those genes. And so some people, they're pretty resilient to being in really dark, you know, up in Alaska in the winter or whatever, seasonally dark areas. But other people, it's really depressing for them and they get clinical depression or at least they just feel lousy. And it's because these receptors aren't getting sunshine. And honestly, even going to a tanning bed helps. You know, a lot of people can't afford to fly down to Mexico or Florida for a couple of weeks in the winter and do this, you know, like just basically regenerate their mood through these receptors and through the sunshine. So at least you can use a tanning bed. Obviously don't get burned. Just go in there for like three minutes. Burning is the opposite of healthy. It's, it's chronic inflammation you're creating. But, you know, if you go in there three to five minutes and you just get some some ultraviolet on your skin, that helps too. What about the role with uh, vitamin D and cholesterol? 
Yeah, so cholesterol is converted via the sunshine to vitamin D. So yeah, I mean, anytime you go higher fat diet, your cholesterol usually goes up, and that's usually a good thing. Because my, in my opinion, the optimal total cholesterol is between about 220 and about 260. For men and women, or, or is that men? Oh, yeah. Both, got it. Yep, and they've, they've distinguished between those two. In fact, if you want to be less specific, I'd say anywhere between 180 and 280 is a double thumbs up as far as I'm concerned. If you're lower than that, like if you're a vegan and you're not eating a lot of fats and your cholesterol is 120, and I'm just talking total cholesterol because that's what the doctors love to talk about. Mm-hmm. If your total cholesterol is 120, the doctor will come into the office and he'll pat you on the back and he'll say, I'm so proud of you. Keep up the good work. You are the, the absolute model of good health. And yeah, your testosterone is also 120 instead of 600. And yeah, you have no energy and no sex drive, but look at your cholesterol. I'm so pleased. <laughs> so ridiculous, dude. I, I actually read it. I remember reading a study. Maybe you know the study that more people actually die from heart disease with normal to low cholesterol than with high cholesterol. Have you seen that as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. And to be honest, you know, if you start getting to three, 400, some people are at 600. I mean, yeah, there's some problems there, especially with your triglycerides. I met a guy this last year at deer hunting camp. I hunt with this family and it was like an extension of their family. And his, his triglycerides were 900. Wow. And you're supposed to be like below 100. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) So his blood is literally like, like grease. I mean, and my dad talks about that. So my, my dad is a doctor, my brother's an orthopedic surgeon. And they'll talk about like, yeah, if you're doing surgery and somebody just ate pizza or something, their blood will be greasy. Like if, if, you, if you're eating somebody who's eating like seed oils and fast food and stuff, it's physically greasy. It's gross if your triglycerides are that high. So his, his triglycerides were that high because of probably seed oils, vegetable oils, and carbohydrates and sugar. It's just the, the, the inflammatory foods. And no exercise on top of all that. Mm. Yeah, you can't get that high. I mean, that's like Guinness Records high. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. You know, I, I recently did a uh, carnivore, 40-day carnivore protocol last summer. And I did, I, did, I did a whole bunch of lab work on day one. I got my LDL particles, NMR profile, HDL, triglycerides. I got my C-reactive protein, homocysteine. I did a comprehensive panel on day one. And then I ate nothing but animal fat and cholesterol from animals for 40 days. And then I did it on day 40. And yeah, my cholesterol went up. My LDLs went up as well. But everything else improved. My C-reactive protein was 1.1 on day one. It went down to 0.5 on day 40. My homocysteine was like 6.5, went down to 5 on day 40. My A1C dropped a point. My fasting insulin also improved. I mean, I saw all these improvements, right? So it flies in the face of conventional wisdom, which says if you're eating all that fat and cholesterol from animal products, you're going to increase your risk of heart disease. What I just did, I saw the exact opposite. So I'm sure you've seen that before. Oh, 100%. Well, I did my PhD on cholesterol, you know, and oh. what's sad is most of the people in that field, they're taking statins, even though the research is very obvious that like how damaging they are and how and what the optimal levels should be for your... I mean, if people want to look at a study, there's a study called Total Cholesterol and All-Cause Mortality, and it had 12.8 million people. If you just search, Google search, quote unquote, total cholesterol, all-cause mortality, 12.8 million people, you'll find the study. And look at figure two in that study, and you'll see the optimal levels for total cholesterol. The research is very clear. Now, as soon as you get ab- above 200 on your total cholesterol, the doctors come into the office, and they're all sweaty. And they say, I'm sorry to inform you, you're going to die any minute unless we get you on some statins. <laughs> and it freaks people out, right? Like, they've done this to me. That's why I know. And I take the prescription 
because I can't even argue with them. I have a freaking PhD on this topic. I did five years researching cholesterol. I can't sit down and show them the data and argue. I've tried that. So what I have to do now is just take the prescription, smile, shake their hand, walk out and throw it on the trash on the way out the door. That's what we've come to, you know, with the cholesterol situation. But what's even more ironic, Ben, is that if your blood sugar is above 85 fasted, that's a threefold higher risk of heart disease. Hmm. And I did a video on that on my YouTube channel also. And I mean, can you imagine how crazy it is? Because usually you come in at 90, like Americans are coming in to the office with a 95 on their blood sugar, 100. And the cardiologists totally ignore that. They're like, oh, yeah, your labs look fine, but your cholesterol is too high. Let's jump you on some stuff. That's the only thing they focus on. And they're dropping you from the optimal range into no man's land where your testosterone is also getting hammered, your vitamin D is getting hammered, you know, and your skin's not as well protected against the sunshine, which is a full circle back to where we started. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Perfect. That's interesting. So a threefold increase in heart disease if you have a fasting glucose consistently over 85. So even if it's 87, 88, because from, I thought 70 to 90 would be an optimal range. So what you're saying is anything above 85 is not considered optimal. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. Because I was interested in that question when I did this particular video and, and I was wondering like, what is the optimal range? What about age? You know, what about children? And it comes back really consistent just over and over in, the, in all of these studies from every direction. And they like to say it's between like 70 and 85, I think. But, you know, the studies that they look at where, where people have blood sugar of 60 and things like that are starving people on the streets and things like really poor quality group to research because they're having, you know, they're on sometimes on some pretty hard drugs and they're dying of really unusual causes that normal people like they're exposed to crazy cold weather or something like that. Right. So to, to say that there's a low end to that is a little bit questionable with some mm -hmm. of that research, but, but yeah, that's, that's the cutoff. Cause I used to say 90 all the time. I used to have it on my DNA consults on the actual report that I give people, make sure you're below 90. I felt like that was a pretty conservative cutoff line for optimization, but 85 looks to be the number. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to watch that video and look into that research because that's what I've been saying to, to 90. But now I'm curious to see some of what you're sharing. That's so fascinating. And that's another uh, important reason to have something like a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, because you could get a snapshot of exactly what's going on with your blood sugars. You know, going. let's close the loop real quick with the sunshine and the vitamin D. You know, when we look at somebody gets their vitamin D, which is not even that common, it's not on a typical lab report, you sometimes have to request it as an add-on, you see this 30 to 70 range, and if some, you know, your doctor sees you're at 32, they're going to say, you know, great, you know, keep up the good work, when in reality, that's a deficiency. So what are the optimal ranges for vitamin D? Have you ever seen a, a vitamin D toxicity level? I've never seen it. And just what are some of the optimal ranges? Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes it says 30 to 70, sometimes 30 to 100. But yeah, you're exactly right. You're coming in. At, the average American, by the way, is 30. So there, people are coming in in droves at 30 and the doctors are kicking them out and saying like, this is great. Everything looks good. But as soon as you get below 50, you start to see all kinds of associations with all kinds of health issues from gut issues to chronic fatigue to depression. Sometimes you see just so many issues, uh, muscle dysfunction. 
I mean, you name it pretty much, and you're going to start to see issues. And a lot of the doctors, when you argue with this about, the, about this topic with them, they'll say, well, those are just associations. Because that's a good thing to say generally when it comes to a lot of these vegan studies and all this stuff with the diet, because there's a lot of silly shenanigans going on with association studies. But with the vitamin D, my philosophy is, look, why be below 50 if you have even associations for, you know, for issues below that? Right. At least let's get above 50, and then we can eliminate the association risks that mm -hmm. may or may be valid. And so also, if you look at the hunter-gathering studies, right? Hunter-gathering tribes, I've looked at the blood work, and it's very clear everybody in those tribes is between 70 and 120. And wow. I mean everybody. Yeah. Some of the tribes, it's, it's between 70 and 100. Some of, them is, some of them average between 80 and 120. And so I think that's the optimal range. And by the way, another just a side note, if you go to the doctor with an 80, They'll, tell, they'll come in and tell you you're toxic. Ah, oh, so stupid. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I mean, if you're at 200 or something, there's a risk for calcifying your arteries, basically, mm. even, even if your vitamin K is nice and high. Doctors do see that once in a while in their own experience. So they do kind of get righteously, you know, worried if you're legitimately like that high. But just keep it between 50 and, and 100. And I feel like, I like to get people up to about 50 with supplements. And then the sunshine, it depends on the genes, number one, the context, number two, because people go out in the sun more or less. But then usually they get out in the sun and they bump it up to 70, 80 mm -hmm. if they're out in the sun pretty regular. But I mean, Joseph Mercola, right? He gets up to 70, 80 with zero vitamin D supplements. He's just outside all the time. He's in your neck of the woods That's down right. in Florida. Yeah, exactly. So he's getting the natural sunshine, which is the best way to do it. And yeah, I, I like mine typically stays in the 65, 72 range of vitamin D. I'll go on and off, you know, supplementation with it, but I typically get it from the sun. You know, the sun, like you said, it forces adaptation. It's a hormetic stressor. And a little bit of that, you have a good positive curve with that hormesis, but then you get too much, you get burned, then that curve goes down. So somebody like me, I could get about an hour and I'm not burned. And then after that, I'm starting to get burned. Somebody like you, Anthony, you said what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Yeah, so, I do. I set a timer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do? You set a timer? And then what do you do? Do you like put, you put, I put sun a sun shirt on? I put sun gloves. I put this goofy sun hat that has this back flap on it nice. for my neck. I go crazy. Like a, like a tourist. Yeah, total tourist. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people are slathering themselves with sunscreen. What are the issues with, with most sunscreen out there? Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, if you go to just Walmart and or whatever, and you just look at the sunscreens, you flip them around and look at the ingredients, and just sunscreen after sunscreen after sunscreen. The main ingredient is oxybenzone, and that's also called benzophenone three. So there's like benzophenone one, benzophenone two, benzophenone three. There's a whole bunch of benzophenones. There's a whole class of of toxin, really, frankly. It's a man-made chemical. It's fake. It's not found in nature. Our ancestors were never exposed to this, and Again, a synonym is oxybenzone, oxybenzone, benzophenone. If you see that, it's pretty much the same thing. That chemical acts like estrogen in, in your body, and you don't want to be rubbing it on your skin because it goes through your skin. Now, by the way, when I wrote my book, there, this was a little bit ambiguous. People you know, said, well, there's not enough studies to really conclusively show it goes through your skin. After I published my book, thank goodness they came out with a study where they, they put sunscreen on people. And I mean, this made like CNN and everything. If you type in like oxybenzone dermal uptake or, you know, whatever, it was on all the major news platforms. And it was because they did one application of sunscreen. Seven days later, 
the levels of oxybenzone were still above the government's own safety limits Jeez. for that blood level. Yeah. And <laughs> they've never done the study before. They were saying like, oh, oops, like we need to do more research. It's like, yeah, of course you do. It's been legal for like 50 years and people have been using it like crazy on their children. And these are adults and then they're above the government's level. And by the way, the government's limits are absurd already. And I go through that in my book, right. just explaining how ridiculous those are because what they're doing to set those up is toxicity studies. They're trying to kill cells. They're adding this chemical and let's see how much it takes to kill the cells. But these estrogen chemicals, Oftentimes, they don't kill the cells because they act like estrogen. So the cell's like, oh, yeah, this is just estrogen. And it screws up the cells. It does all kinds of weird stuff to them, especially if you put it in a body like your body or a mouse or a rat or whatever, like some whole animal, because you're, you're screwing with the hormones holistically. But it doesn't kill the cells for a pretty high dose. So to get above the government's own safety limits, insane. And by the way, zinc is a great alternative. There's plenty of zinc sunscreens with, with coconut oil or whatever, like other ingredients that you can actually pronounce. <laughs> Are there any brands that come to mind for that? Yeah. I, on my AJ Consulting Company website, I have a page called What I Use. And I just tell people like, hey, here's the products that I use from the soaps to the detergents to the uh, shampoos. And it's not extensive by any stretch. It's just, hey, I found this one to be cheap. But it's also really good. I found this one you have to pay a little extra money for because this is the only one I could find. Um, And sunscreen, I have like three or four different sunscreens on there because I've tested like 20 or 30 of them because I fish a lot. (laughs) In Minnesota? Yeah, I fish. Well, I'm like, I'm going to be down in the Keys this June fishing for tarpon during the migration and mahi mahi. And and then I'm out in Washington, Oregon, coming up soon, fishing. Actually, in April here, April 15, there's the white sturgeon migration. They have these thousand-pound fish. They call them poor man's marlin. And they <laughs> jump out of the water. Like when you hook them, they come flying out of the water. Wow. They're, they're insane. So, like, I'll go outside and fish all day long, you know, day after day. And so I can try, like, well, let me try this sunscreen on this arm and this one on this arm. And it's surprising. Sometimes I get burned with the ingredients look pretty much identical, 20% zinc, pretty similar ingredients, and then one arm will get burned. So things like that help me to kind of narrow it down. Or deodorant, I did that with deodorant, lots of different deodorant tests because most of the natural ones didn't work for me. I just could smell it. Yeah. And I was doing one arm, one arm here, one arm there. (laughs) That's interesting. So is it ajconsulting.com? Is that the website? AJ Consulting Company. Unfortunately, it's a terrible website name, but (laughs) It was put 11 it, years ago when I started. We'll put it in the, uh, I got it. We'll put it in the notes of the podcast. So I want to check that out myself. Hey, I want to take a brief minute to share something with you. For many years, I used to take fish oil and recommend it. And I see a lot of people in the keto space overdoing it with fish oil. There are several reasons why I am not a fan of fish oil and why I stopped recommending it to all of my clients several years ago. Number one, 83% of fish oil is expected to be rancid on the shelf before you even consume it. There was also an experiment done. This study was called the Iowa Screening Experiment. This study showed it took 18 weeks to reverse the negative effect of the incorporation of EPA and DHA from fish oil into the cell membrane. Another study found that fish oil increased the risk of colon cancer in mice. Here's the quote. We found that mice developed deadly late-stage colon cancer when given high doses of fish oil. More importantly, with the increased inflammation, it only took four weeks for the tumors to develop. Simply put, I stopped taking it. I stopped recommending it. I use a plant-based omega from Pureform. This supplement is nitrogen infused, which preserves and protects it. 
it has the proper balance of a mega six to a mega three and most importantly it gives you the derivatives the building blocks they're called parent essential oils for you to produce your own epa and dha if you want to learn more about pure form head over to purelifescience.com use the coupon code ben4 that is b-e-n the number four at checkout and you'll get four dollars off your capsules of pure form we will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's go back to this episode. So we spoke about vitamin D. We spoke about sunshine. So fascinating. Now let's get into the conversation on the immune system because a lot of people are now aware of what exactly the immune system is and they're actually becoming more awake with how important their health is right now. So what are three of your favorite ways to optimize the immune system? Are they wearing a face mask, getting a shot and watch and paying attention to the government or is it something else? Oh man, took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Optimizing the immune system. I would, I would say it starts with sleep because a lot of people are sleep deprived out there. I mean, it's the basics, right? You don't have to, you don't, it's not rocket science. You don't need a PhD in this stuff to really pay attention to the basics and and go a long ways with that 80-20 principle in terms of getting 80% of the health benefits from really simple, basic, low-hanging things. And that last 20% can be tough sometimes. You get some plateaus and, you know, you do the keto diet and you plateau a little bit and then, you know, on your weight loss or whatever, and you need to learn about intermittent fasting or maybe even more extreme fasting a little bit here and there. But again, sleep, I mean, shoot, it's just like blood sugar where, you know, a lot of people have sleep problems. And by the way, they oftentimes have sleep genetic, like gene variants that, you know, can activate sleep problems and exacerbate sleep problems, I should say. But you almost need to track it if you really want to dial it in. How do you track it? I use the Aura Ring. I'm wearing yeah. mine right now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I usually only wear it at nighttime. I just happened to forget to take it off a bit ago. Why, but Why is that? Why do I only wear it at night? No, yeah. Just because I, I've, I'm on my second one. I wore the battery out the first one because I was wearing it all the time. And <laughs> this one's been going for a long time and no issues with the battery because I just do it at night. And that's the only data I was using anyway. But, you know, I gave a talk for the special forces, Ben, and they sh- I've given a couple because I actually do DNA consulting for their operators, for a lot of their special operator guys. And they showed me research that they've done on all the sleep tracking devices from Aura to Garmin VivoSmart to Whoopstrap to Apple Watch. Aura was by far the best. Really? Over Whoop? Yeah. Interesting, because I've been hearing a lot of things about Whoop lately. Good, yeah. I'm not saying any of the other ones are bad necessarily. Right, right. But this one outperformed. Just deep versus REM. And again, it's not published, so I can't just, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but that still speaks volumes. You trust what I see. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you also, I mean, how much emphasis do you put on heart rate variability? Oh, yeah, a lot. I think it's really important. Speak about it. I want to hear about it. Yeah, it's a little bit arbitrary in terms of like what your base level should be. But Correct. It, you know, it should definitely you can definitely see relative to what you are other days if you're stressed out or you're not sleeping and it'll tank out on you. And that's a good indicator of, you know, to relax a little bit more, try and calm down, do some meditation. You know, it it gives you a lot to to think about depending on your goals and your lifestyle, because Mm -hmm. like people that train really hard, like me, I train pretty damn hard. I go rock climbing almost every day at the rock climbing gym with my kids. Oh, wow. And I'm like working on one arm pull-ups right now and all kinds of stuff. Like, Are you wearing a mask at the same time or what? They, they force you to wear a mask. Oh, geez. So that's horm- more hormesis right there for you. Yeah, right. So uh, what's, your, what's your baseline for heart rate variability, you specifically? What do you typically get? I'm pretty bad. I'm like 40. And then at nighttime when I 
after I sleep, it goes up to like 80. It, it goes a long way. So like, so 60 is usually like the average for you? I'd say, yeah. My wife's usually like 80 all the time. So it's really variable. But of course, if she overtrains or whatever, hers tanks out too. Right. And but genetics... mine seems to jump. Yeah. There's definitely Ge- genetic variants. Yeah, because my girlfriend, Natasia, man, she gets 150, 180 every night. And I'm and I'm always, I'm like, there's something wrong with this aura ring. We got to get you tested a different way. But I started doing some research and she's not a like a pro- professional athlete. And I, I found some research that shows it could be a genetic thing. And that's, uh, you know, the gene, her genes are actually helping her score higher. And to your point, it's not really about comparing mine versus hers. It's about getting the baseline and then gradually seeing that improvement. So for me, if I eat before bed, I'm going to see it drop. I don't drink alcohol, but if I drink alcohol, it'll probably drop. If I overtrain, it'll drop. So it's, it's a great marker. I love looking at the heart rate variability. What do you aim to get for yourself personally when it comes to deep and REM sleep? I try and get an hour and a half of each mm-hmm. because when I first started tracking, I was getting plenty of RAM. I was getting an hour and a half or two hours of RAM, but I was getting like 15 minutes of deep every night. I'd sleep eight hours and get 15 minutes 15 of deep. 15 minutes. Wow. Oh, I'm your... bad. I, I've, I'm historically bad. My dad growing up, he goes to bed at about 4 a.m. and he gets up at like eight. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's the environment that I came from. Mm-hmm. And college, for example, my senior semester, I literally slept three hours a night for the whole semester. And I used to brag about it. That's why I remember it because I thought it was cool. But I, I got acid reflux during that time. I got seasonal allergies for the first time in my life, which carried through for like 10 years. By the way, I cured those. I cured my seasonal allergies with a three-day water-only fast. I've never had them since. Huh. And, and awesome. I still did. I, I also eat a lot healthier than I did too. But I started eating healthy and I still had allergies for a bunch of years. That's awesome. Three-day water fast. They never got it back. Exactly. And the asthma? Because gets... oh, I thought you said asthma. No allergies. Sorry, I oh, may have. Excuse me. Take, yeah. No, that's no, fine. Just seasonal. Like I'd get them. I'd get them worse than anybody I knew. Like I'd go outside in the spring, and my eyes would come back bloodshot, Jeez. and I wanted to like rip them out. I couldn't sleep. But the point, going back to sleep. Speaking of, now I get like at least an hour of deep and an hour of REM. That's my base. Like I gotta get that, and and it's cool. Like if I do heavy lifting in the evening. I destroy my deep sleep. If I do endurance training, like I go for a jog, destroy my deep sleep. If I do high intensity interval training in the evening, I sleep amazing. Really interesting. Yeah, so like the different types of training, if you work out at 8 a.m. versus noon versus 8 p.m., it changes. If you eat in the evening, eating in the evening is the worst thing. I don't care who you are, everybody I've come across, that's like the cardinal sin for sleep. And almost Mm -hmm. everybody's doing it in America if they're just following the the Netflix routine, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was a big eye-opener. But I also... I got one for my wife. We used to be, you know, you can actually swap these out and she can wear it. It's not set up for that, but you can do like a month and then she can do a month if you can't afford one and you want to get like double the the value. And sometimes we put hers on the kids, like, you know, take it and put on their thumb or something and just see where their sleep is at. And it's pretty cool. Interesting idea. I love that idea. So what do you see? What have you seen with your kids? They sleep amazing. <laughs> so much growth hormone, deep sleep going on there. Exactly. That's <laughs> phenomenal. And and we've got their room super dark and a little white nice. noise machine and stuff. But because we travel and I want that same white noise when I travel. So that's not some weird environment for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the basic the other thing that I bumped into actually Ben Pakulski bumped into this and shared it with me. He makes all of his clients get an aura ring and he trains a lot of professional bodybuilders and things. And he gets all of his clients get infrared lights. Mm. And he discovered 
I think it was just accidentally through his clients just saying, look, I used this before I went to bed and I slept way better. Interesting. And I found the same thing. And I tried to get Mayo Clinic to basically sponsor me to do that study because it's never been published. Once again, it's not something you can just go on PubMed and pull out and prove. But sure enough, it works for me. And I feel like we need to codify that in PubMed with professional research, but they wouldn't sponsor me to study it. There's no drugs and no patents involved, Correct. unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna experiment with that because I have a, a sauna space photon beam red light lamp. I'm gonna use that before I use it in the morning typically, but I'm gonna use it before bed and see what it does. I typically get about an hour and a half to two hours of deep and an hour and a half of REM. My girlfriend gets three hours of deep sleep every night, dude. She's like an an anomaly, man. My wife does too. Oh, really? Dude, I'm like jealous of that. And they're both important. That's where that HRV is coming up. Exactly, exactly. So a cold... The, the colder the bedroom, the more deep sleep you'll get. And then they're both important, right? We want REM, we want deep. So sleep is important. I know that it is, especially when we're talking about keto, you know, you, when you just one poor night of sleep, Scientific American showed one poor night of sleep results in higher levels of cortisol, glucose and insulin follows cortisol, ketones drop, ghrelin's up, leptin is down. So it's a surefire way to not only wipe out your immune system to your point, but also wipe out your willpower reserve. So that's the first tip, Anthony. Yeah, What's immune system. <laughs> <laughs> What's the second one? <laughs> I think intermittent fasting. Almost everybody has intermittent fasting genes. I mean, 99% of people. It's pretty clear that our ancestors were intermittent fasting. You've got to increase autophagy, get rid of that cell debris, clear out your garbage, take, let your cells take out the trash, intermittent fast. It's that simple. Um, and I'd probably throw sunshine in there too. It's so overlooked. You know, people really need to get their shirts off and get out in the sun and actually get skin in the sun. That's probably number three. And again, that's us off the cuff. I haven't given it a lot of thought because, you know, if I was thinking as a scientist for a second and just saying, okay, like, you know, the brain, if you give the brain carbs, proteins, and fats in a dish, it'll burn the carbs. It loves carbs. I'm not saying that's the best fuel for your brain because ketones would be far better, but that's the preference of the brain cells. And you see that a lot in the scientific research. If you give the heart carbs, proteins, and fats, if you have cardiac cells, cardiomyocytes, it'll burn the fats. It actually prefers to burn fat as the primary fuel source. Now, the immune system, because you asked about the immune system, if you give the immune system carbs, proteins, and fats, it'll actually burn protein. Like that's the preferred fuel source for your immune system, which is very unusual. So I would also, you know, encourage people not to be protein deficient, eat lots of meat and things like that. And again, you know, bioavailable meats, you know, like bioavailable protein stuff that you're actually assimilating into your body. So that's kind of in the back of my mind. But again, I haven't thought through it much. I bet you sunshine might be more important, but if some people aren't eating enough protein and you know, like the, the sunshine's less of a priority and it's more about the protein or whatever the situation is, context dependent. One of my favorite ways to break a fast is with bone broth. Not just any bone broth you get at your grocery store. I'm talking about high-quality, grass-fed bone broth. The benefits to bone broth is a long list. From glowing skin, stronger hair and nails, improved recovery from the amino acids that are in the broth, helping with digestion, energy, the immune system, helping with cravings, and also brain fog. Bone broth also helps to balance out your methionine to glycine ratios. A lot of people, especially those doing carnivore, who eat a lot of muscle meat, they get an imbalance of increased methionine levels. And what bone broth could do, it has high amounts of glycine, which helps balancing the ratio of methionine to glycine, which is important for methylation. If you're not familiar with methylation, think of that as the gears and switches of your cellular 
health. Lately, my go-to for bone broth has been the beauty and the broth. What I love about them is that there are no artificial flavors, no preservatives, no phthalates, no sugar or salt added. They are grass-fed, non-GMO, and it contains a high amount of collagen, which is so important for your gut and your skin and bone health. The cool thing about the Beauty and the Broth is that their packets are single serve and you could take them on the go wherever you go. When I'm traveling, when I'm on the go, I'll take a few packets of these bone broths with me. You just add hot water, boom, it's concentrated for you, which makes it easy to get your bone broth anywhere. They have affordable monthly, bi-weekly, and weekly subscription programs. Head over to thebeautyandthebroth.com to learn more about them. That is thebeautyandthebroth.com. We will also drop... Right. No, it's a great answer. And they're, they're all free. I mean, except for the protein. It was the sleep, the fasting, and uh, the sunshine. All They're all free. We could do it right now. So that's terrific. Even if it's overcast, they're still getting benefits from the sunshine, correct? Exactly. And by the way, I just had another one pop into my head. I had a guy who also... I've had a couple DNA clients that cured their allergies. And it always jumps out at me because I did that, the seasonal allergies. And one of my clients cured his allergies from nose breathing. Mm. At night when he was sleeping, he started doing mouth taping and his allergies that were lifelong went away. It, it definitely changes your immune system because when your body gets lazy and your mouth breathing and you're dumping CO2 really fast versus nose breathing, where your body has to be more stringent about the CO2 regulation, and then nitric oxide, because when you bring air through your nasal passage, it increases nitric oxide, which increases blood flow through your whole body. That's really, really valuable for your immune system. You know, I'd almost have to expand the list of five. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's, Protein that, in the nose breathing at night. <laughs> I, I actually personally mouth tape every night. I use the SomniFix and I tape my mouth because if not, I'm typically a mouth breather overnight. So that really helps. I've been, I've noticed that I've tested, speaking of the aura, when I ran out of the strips and I didn't mouth tape, I, my, my deep sleep actually drops a little bit and I don't get as good sleep. And then I put it back on and it goes back up. So terrific. Now let's talk about something a little bit more controversial, if you will. And that is what a lot of people are talking about, which is the COVID-19 vaccine, if you want to call it that, and then the face mask. So let's start with the vaccine. You know, what are your thoughts on the vaccine? What are the pros and cons of it? What are some you know areas somebody could go research to learn more about it and make an educated decision on it? That's the best question is that like, and this is true of statins and all the drugs, like when researchers you know, do all these studies for these pharmaceutical companies and they come out with a drug, they don't actually have to release that study and they don't. And so for a scientist like me, even though I have crazy access to behind the scenes to all these paywalls and all these journals that most people can't get because it'll say like, oh, you're gonna need to pay for that, right? I can see those entire studies. If they come out with a new statin or something, I can't just go out and like, oh, let me look at the study and look at the actual details and critique that because most studies are critique worthy. They have all kinds of flaws, right? And what happens if, if somebody has an adverse reaction to a statin or whatever the drug is, Prozac or again, whatever the drug, then they get sued, the company gets sued and they have to release the study. Hmm. And then we can finally go in and say, well, let's look at it. And because that happens, the companies usually do release the studies because they know eventually they're going to get sued and they're going to have to release it anyway. So let's just throw it out there now. With vaccines, they do not have to do that. Most people don't realize that. So this whole idea of like, oh, it's 90% effective and 100% and blah, blah, blah. Who knows? I mean, I can't see that study. I can tell you about 
you know, how they're manipulating the statistics and anybody you know, like these biostaticians can really do a, a wonder on manipulation and making data seem really, really significant when it's really minor. But you can't see the study. And that's a real red flag because when you sue a vaccine company, they have a special vaccine court mm-hmm. and you have to go to that vaccine court and they still don't have to release the study because, you know, basically these pharmaceutical companies are immune from that. That alone is a big red flag in terms of trying to understand the study from my perspective. And then, of course, just the fact that it's experimental. And this is very new technology. Using polyethylene glycol, super sketchy. Like, I don't like to see polyethylene glycol in cleaning products and all this other stuff. And now here we are injecting it. You know, if if it was in a personal care product, I would complain. There's a scientist. He's at NYU. uh, And he's been saying polyethylene glycol is toxic for years. And the irony is, you know, he's kind of in this like, yay, everybody get vaccinated, like in this virtue signaling group. And he, he's been saying for years, get rid of polyethylene glycol. And now he's saying, well, it's bad for, but we got to get vaccinated for the greater good. <laughs> and he's, he's injected it himself into himself. It's wow. crazy. And nine, I think it's 90% of people have antibodies to polyethylene glycol from previous vaccines that we've already had. So that's a ticking time bomb, this sensitivity to future vaccines. So like if you get rabies or something and you actually need a vaccine and they use polyethylene glycol, you might have some crazy reaction and it might not work. You know, like there's a lot of mites, maybes, who knows, right? It's it's an experimental thing and it's questionable, a lot of this stuff. I have a quick, quick question of what you just shared. So we see like 95% effective, right? They're, they're claiming that we can't really see the studies, but when they're saying that, here's what I, what I see they're saying, and just correct me if I'm wrong, 95% effective at producing similar proteins to the antibodies we would naturally create on our own through herd immunity. Is that what they're saying? And, and- uh, well, it's usually like an absolute versus relative risk situation. So like it's, it's a manipulation of the data. So like, say you've got, I don't know, 100 people in two groups, right? And let's say just really easy numbers. 100 people get vaccinated, 100 people don't, something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, in the group that got vaccinated, let's say one of them got COVID or two of them got COVID and one of them had like no symptoms and no issues from COVID. So then this is hard to explain because I've never really explained it in simple terms, but the absolute risk, it went from like one person to two persons, right? one to two. So you could call that like a twofold increase, right? right? Or, or you could say like, well, that's just 1% difference or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the way you spin that is the difference between absolute and relative. And that's what they're doing here is they're, they're looking at the difference between those tiny numbers and then they're blowing it up and saying like, oh, instead of two people that got COVID, now we had three people that got COVID or four people. So that's a hundred percent difference or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, got it. They're manipulating the, the data. So when they say effective though, they're saying it's, it's effective at, at, at producing these proteins that are similar to the antibodies that we would produce uh, from herd immunity. Is that what they're saying? I don't even think that's what they're saying, but again, okay. you don't have the study. So I can't, I can't go to the study and say, well, let me see because that's a great question. They're probably just saying those are the people that uh, don't test positive, even though they get exposed or something like that. That's my perception is just like, oh, they got the vaccine and now they're not testing positive. Got it. You know, after the next month. Whereas in the group that didn't get the vaccine, you get a few that tested positive. So, oh, it's 100% more people. <laughs> or whatever. Got it. So it's experimental. Do we have an idea of what it's, is it changing our DNA in some way? Is that 
a, you know, a realistic question to ask or, or is that just crazy? No, I mean, anytime you're, you're in there manipulating, you know, these mRNAs, you're not messing with the DNA, but you are probably messing with the epigenetics. Almost everything that we do alters your epigenetics, marks on top of the DNA. And those get passed to future generations too. And those almost certainly are going to be manipulated. But of course, we haven't done the study. It's brand new. But I mean, like there's a cool epigenetic study. You may have heard about this. It was a while ago, but they, they actually used electricity and zapped rats with electricity every time that they had them smell cherry blossoms. Have you ever heard no, no. <laughs> yeah, because cherry blossoms smell good, right? So they normally you get like this really positive brain response if you do an MRI on a brain and they have cherry blossoms. Even in the rats, it's the same positive response. But they hit them with electricity and gave them this very strong aversion to cherry blossoms. And then they let them have uh, offspring. And the offspring of those rats, whenever they would ch smell cherry blossoms with no electricity, they had this fear response. And you can measure that. And they again, these weren't, pregnant rats they were zapping with electricity this was even before they got pregnant wow and epigenetics is super powerful in that respect like you have billions of marks on your dna that you pass on to future generations so yeah you can do the dna code and it'll be the same that's why i like doing dna consulting because you're ne never going to change right like if you got some bad genes for alzheimer's risk or whatever we can try and prevent alzheimer's in really strategic surgical ways and prevent heart disease and all this far better than taking statins most of the time, right? 99%. But your epigenetics are still a variable that are super important. And you can't basically diminish one or the other. You can't say DNA is useless, or you can't say like epigenetics is useless because DNA is so powerful or, the, or vice versa. They're both super important. But I'm more worried about the vaccine manipulating epigenetic changes that cause adverse reactions in future generations than DNA changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are those are some real concerns. So where where can somebody go to do their own research on whether or not they should get the vaccine? A lot of people are being pressured. I mean, I recently saw some in Miami and the Miami Heat uh, play here, and they play out of the American Airlines Arena. Last week, they just announced that there's going to be a section for vaccinated-only people, right? That's one domino. Next, it's going to be the next arena, the next stadium, the next airplane, the next restaurant. So how do we, like, rise up and do our own research and, and figure out if we should get this or not? Yeah, that the freedom question is, like, a totally different question, and that's where even if the research was super powerful, that this is like an amazing thing, I think it's really questionable to be telling people we have to, you, you can force a vaccine on people or you can discriminate people that have it versus that don't have it. That's really unethical territory, no matter what, no matter how good the science is and no matter how efficacious the vaccine is. But they're going to say it's in order to save humanity. Oh, yeah. Trust me. I've seen the rhetoric and everybody's getting fed this rhetoric so hard. It's amazing. And if you haven't woken up to that at this point, I mean, shoot, that's unfortunate because that's one of the the only positive linings in this whole COVID thing is it's woken a lot of people up to how much, how much shenanigans goes on behind the scenes. And I've been saying that for years. With this estrogen stuff with my book, I have a whole chapter written about basically scientists manipulating data relating to soy and how they do it and how they select their own peer reviewers. Because you can pick your own, you have to pick your own peer reviewers. When I published, I published, I think, five peer reviewed papers last year that are on PubMed. And basically, I have to select my own peer reviewers for those studies, which is crazy. It's so wow. stupid. I hate doing it. You have to go onto the journal and they say, like, who is going to be your top, your three peer reviewers? And I have to put in the names 
or else they won't even like consider that. So of course you can manipulate that, right? You can have your buddies peer review the papers yeah. as long as they have PhDs and as long as they have credentials that, that are just all pieces of paper. But as long as they have that and you've been politically connected, you can get all kinds of shenanigans published and muddy the waters in terms of like, oh, the keto diet or in terms of soy being, soy is so good or keto is so bad or whatever. You can always like throw in that, that little black swan study that supposedly <laughs> debunks all this stuff. And, you know, and then you get the, you know, I don't want to say any names, but you get certain people in this world that jump on that and use that to basically quote unquote debunk, you know, all this stuff that's really good for you. And that's mm-hmm. probably, you know, the end game on a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And you see it with the manipulation of all the COVID numbers and all this. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And you know, the, the difficult thing for people, Anthony, is they'll listen to this podcast and they'll hear you maybe for the first time, maybe not, but they'll hear you. Anthony, you're somebody who's well-researched. You got all the credentials and you're saying, you know, you're skeptical about the vaccine, but then they'll go on. Dr. Hyman's podcast and listen to that and they'll hear Dr. Hyman who's also well experienced and credentials saying um, um you know you should get the vaccine like how do we how does that person decide who to put their faith into like it's, it's so confusing to people and I kind of stay away from it because it could trigger people but how do you how do you help that person who's just so confused they're being pulled in different directions what do you say to that person yeah I th- I always say this I think just like the estrogen chemicals, anytime you're doing something that our ancestors for thousands of years did not do, I would err on the side of skepticism and caution. So whether that's injecting yourself with peptides like I was doing with melanotan and getting tan, that's my prerogative. I don't want to force people to do that because right. that's definitely not something our ancestors were doing. And I think people should have the freedom to do that. I think people should have the freedom to get the vaccines if they're super scared of COVID and all that sort of thing. But I also think that you know, it's something our ancestors didn't do. So that automatically, you know, raises some questions at least. And any, anybody who says that we should just blindly accept it and it's good for you no matter what, and they're trying to push it, like promote it, that should be a red flag for that person. And maybe it's time to change audiences, you know, and tri- tribes or whatever you want to call it, uh, change podcasts that you listen to because, you know, the estrogen stuff is the same way. Like w- when they came out with BPA, they were researching BPA in the 1920s as a birth control. And then they turned it into plastic and started making a ton of money on that and said, oh my gosh, this is way better. And they assured everybody that it doesn't leach. And Nalgene was the company at the forefront of that. And people still have Nalgene BPA bottles. They're looking on the bottom and there's a little recycling symbol. It has a number seven. That's BPA. It's very obvious that it leaches because now we have the technology to measure the nanogram levels. And oh, guess what? Testosterone, estrogen, those are in the nanogram levels. So like we're exposing ourselves to the same amounts of these hormones and these fake hormones that our natural hormone levels are at. So it obviously has an impact. And sure enough, as they've done more and more and more studies, I mean, they have tens of thousands of studies on BPA showing how bad it is across the board. So there, it becomes, you know, a no brainer. But 20 years ago, when scientists were saying it doesn't even leach, people would laugh at you if you said to avoid BPA. And that's a perfect example. And there's so many of them. Like, have you heard of DES, diethylstilbestrol? I recommend your your listeners and whatnot, your audience, look it up at some point. DES, if you just go to Wikipedia and type in DES at some point, it was prescribed for 30 years legally from like at least 1940, I would say, to 1970. And this is professional medical doctors. For If you had like 
morning sickness. They were prescribing it to women that were pregnant. They're prescribing it all over the place. And it's a very similar molecule to BPA. And it causes crazy problems. But 30 years, we had professional doctors basically going around promoting it and prescribing it. And you didn't see a lot of the health impacts until the next generation. Mm. And it was terrible for the next generation. But again, were our ancestors taking this fake you know, compound, this fake estrogen that's man-made and synthetic and never been found in nature? Definitely not. Were our ancestors doing keto and intermittent fasting? For sure. Have you ever seen the TV show Alone? Like that TV show where they go yes. off in the... Yeah. Yeah. Like watch that. And that's what our ancestors were doing. I mean, they were going without food for quite a few days and they're struggling. I mean, it's exactly a lot of cold exposure. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of hormesis going on there. Yeah, you know, you, you make a good point. I love that. You know, from what I've seen is whatever the government is promoting and pushing down your throat along with mainstream media, it's usually the exact opposite that's going to get you down the right direction. So I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm very skeptical about the vaccine. I'm not getting it right now. I'm advising my mom not to get it right now. And everybody should make their own, you know, informed decision. You know, I want to wrap up the conversation real quick with um, the face mask, which is also, you know, triggering to some people. Are there any benefits to wearing a face mask? I mean, should anybody be wearing a face mask? What, what's going on with the face mask, Anthony? I know it's so funny when they first started telling everybody like, oh, there's all benefits and there's no question face masks work. I started digging into it and there's studies, for example, where like if you wear the wrong type of face mask, like a fleece face mask, for example, like these neck things that people push up, it actually disperses the droplets more. It's actually oh, worse for droplet dispersion. So to say like the science is settled and we know everything is so stupid. Anybody says that, I think, you know, just again, time to turn off that podcast. But I did a, a YouTube video on my solution to COVID and this was a while ago, and I've been saying this the whole time, basically, that like, yeah, if you have a pre-existing medical condition, like if you got cancer, if you got like an autoimmune condition, if you got asthma, whatever, you should probably get an N95 mask. They do help. And when you go out in public, you should probably wear that. And if, at least if COVID's really hot in your area, that sort of thing, they should give them away to people with pre-existing conditions. Everybody else should not only not be wearing an N95 mask, but they shouldn't be wearing a mask at all because we want herd immunity. There was a study that came out right when I made that video. The reason I made the video is a study came out and it looking at the SARS uh, coronavirus from you know the, the previous one that we had, the SARS virus that, mm -hmm. that uh, was like 17, 20 years, or 17 years ago. And people still have antibodies from that virus from 17 years ago. So all basically everything points to herd immunity working being successful there's a lot of people that have tried to question that and pretend like it's probably not going to happen or whatever in this case it doesn't make any sense because of course our, we would have herd immunity so in other words people like myself who should be out there without a mask spreading this thing around getting it over with really briefly while the people that are at high risk, you know, from medical conditions have the N95s, maybe stay at home for a week or two. We'd have been, we'd been over this ages ago. And I even went on like the news and talked about this. And then they compared me to other Mayo Clinic scientists that said the opposite. Like, oh, everybody needs to double mask and all this kind of thing. And, you know, it, it was really absurd because the news reporter, she said, well, how come you're saying this now? You know, now we all agree that masks are the best thing. And it's like, well, because they they published a study now that shows that herd immunity is real. So we have to go with the data. It's not a religion. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like, well, just because we've heard that masks are supposedly the only thing to do, that automatically settles it. So that's been my take, I think, for a long time on this. Um, 
let's get herd immunity up with healthy people, especially people like us that are metabolically healthy, because that's really the most important thing to be honest, but, and then just move on, you know, it's become political. It's a political charade, really Mm -hmm. political, virtual signaling and fear. Uh, which is all aligned together. I'm with you. I, I agree. I don't wear a mask uh, unless I have to on an airplane, which is absurd. But I walk around my neighborhood here. People, I'm in, I'm in Florida. There's no mask mandate. But even with that, most people are still wearing masks in my neighborhood. Like I'm looking out my window right now. There's two ladies walking with a, with a mask on each of them. So I, I'm walking around and uh, I've been stopped by police officers here 20 plus times for not wearing a mask walking my dog. And I have a conversation with them and I'm like, hey, masks are for sick people. I'm not sick, officer. And, and I go on with my way. Like we need to have these conversations. We need to be bold. We need to show up. Because when I do that, somebody else sees that and they want to do that too. People don't want to wear the mask. They're doing it because they think they want to do their part. They're doing it because they they think it's helping and they're living in fear when fear is the exact thing that's going to wipe out the immune system. So I love that you share that. I'm aligned with that as well. It'll trigger somebody. Somebody already stopped on this podcast <laughs> when we talked about the vaccine. But you're doing amazing work, Anthony. You've got an amazing YouTube channel. Uh, I want everybody to go subscribe to, which is called the Anthony J Cast YouTube channel. We're going to link down below. You have your book. Tell us more about where we could get your book and where we could get uh, more of your information that you're putting out there. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks. It's just on Amazon. And then, of course, AJ Consulting Company is my DNA consulting. So the typical places, I've got the audio book. I've got Audible. I've got the ebook format. I've got the hardcover for the libraries. I've got the soft cover. So it's out there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And like I say, the website's AJ Consulting. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Ben. It was fun to talk to you. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work walking around without that mask. If it's not mandated, I guarantee you I wouldn't be doing it either. And and I think it's literally psychologically harmful for children, but we just have zero studies right now to show that. So I think as the studies come out, we're going to find that it's not only just net neutral, it's actually damaging for children. Agreed. Yeah. It's heartbreaking to see kids wear them. And I was just real quick. I was just in San Francisco speaking at a conference in Silicon Valley, but I went to San Francisco with my girlfriend, dude, a hundred percent of people that I saw in downtown, I was there for three hours. A hundred percent of people were wearing a mask, riding their bike, running, jogging. I didn't wear a mask and I was being mad. I was the only person that I, in the whole entire neighborhood, not wearing one. And I was getting the mask shame really, really hard, but I'm going to keep doing me. I'm a healthy guy. I take care of my health. I should be out there. Anyways, thank you for what you're doing, dude. I love what you're doing. Your YouTube channel is terrific, but also your Instagram is good. What's your Instagram handle? It's Anthony GJ. J-A-Y is the last name. We'll put that in the podcast notes. And thanks so much for just showing up and taking all the arrows for all of us out there. I really hope you geeked out on this episode like I did. Please check out the links and the resources and all the notes in the podcast notes down below. We want to really encourage you to do your research on the immune system, do your research on the vaccine, do your research on the vitamin D, on everything we spoke about today so you can make an educated decision. Go give Dr. Anthony J a, a subscribe on his YouTube channel. He's got an awesome YouTube channel. He's putting out some great content and you can find that in the podcast notes or just type in Anthony J Cast on YouTube. If you got any value from this podcast, please leave it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
that really does help the show grow. Text this to a friend, somebody who needs to hear about the information and the research shared on today's episode. And be sure to follow me on Instagram and Clubhouse at the Ben Azadi. So thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.